Hey, how many of you ever had one of those, given one of those gifts where it's a gift wrapped in a gift, wrapped in another gift, wrapped in another gift, right? Just raise your hand if you had one of those. It's kind of fun. Maybe you're one that gave a gift like that and you're wrapping them and wrapping them and wrapping them. Uh, those are the good kind, aren't they? It's uh, the gift that keeps on giving, right? Like the Jelly of the Month Club, Clark. <laughs> ah, that when you watch that scene in the movie, it's a lot more laughs than what I got there. But anyway, maybe some of you haven't seen that one. It's a gift that keeps on giving. So a few of you have gotten that gift that's wrapped in another and another and another and another, and you kind of have to go through all of them, and the anticipation builds, and so. But for those of you unfortunate enough to not ever have had been given one of those, I want to tell you today that you have. You have. I would like to talk today about the four gifts of salvation. So we're going to go and break down our salvation in Christ and get a little bit more specific about it. There are four gifts that are wrapped up in the one gift of salvation. So there's a place in your bulletin if you want to take a few notes um, I know, I know you're already on your heels because you, this is going to be a four-point sermon, not a three-point sermon, Ugh, right? It's all right, it's all right. One of my points is a really small one, so everybody will be okay, I think. Number one, the number one gift, or the first gift of our salvation is the forgiveness of sins. You thought I'd probably say that. Probably the first sin that we probably need forgiven for is the fact that we talk about our sins being forgiven so casually. Recognizing what it took and what was given and sacrificed for our forgiveness of sins is something that should never leave our mind. Now, let me qualify that a little bit. God doesn't want us to be constantly feeling the guilt of that gift that was given. It was a gift. It's a gift to us. Why do we tend to always feel guilty about gifts that are given to us? By accepting Christ, being baptized into his death, I receive the forgiveness of sins, yes, but I also forgive, I also give sonship. I become an heir of everything that God has. So you can see in this God's attitude. It's not to shackle me with guilt or condemn me with shame or say, look what I did for you. You and I will never be able to write enough spiritual checks to pay God back, ever. God's intent was to empower, to raise you to life from the death your sins had you in. God's gift is his son, of his son to you is all about giving to you, not making sure that he receives back. So some scriptures about that. Hebrews chapter 10 says, If we deliberately keep sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only just a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished, the writer says, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot 
who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. So, you and I are not to be put in shackles because Jesus did this for us, but neither are we to take it lightly. If we deliberately keep on sinning, having been delivered from the sins, three things that it says there, trampling God underfoot, (laughs) treating unholy the blood of the covenant that sanctified me, and I also insult the spirit of grace. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? My sins have been forgiven, and so it ought to move me. The gift ought to move me. And so I just want you to allow yourself yourself to be moved by that. It should. It should move us into distancing ourselves from our sin. The Hebrew writer also says in chapter 6, it's impossible for those who've once been enlightened who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the son of God all over again and they're subjecting him to public disgrace. It's as simple as this. God, the great gifter, has gifted us so overwhelmingly. How would we go then and subject him to public disgrace? That's just not very nice. Pretty tough verses, but that's good. We should have a healthy fear and reference for the blood that was shed for us. We've heard the verses from the Corinthian book uh, during communion time. The Corinthian church did not do this very well. They kind of made a mockery of the Lord's Supper. And then you can also read all of the things that happened to them because of that. Let's talk about how we can have a healthy fear without a frightful worry. Does that sound good? Galatians 5. You, my brothers, were called to be... I got it in the other pocket. I don't know why it's doing that. Let me start over. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, Paul says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict, Paul says, with one another so that you do not do what you want to do. It's our, our sinful nature. All right. The passage there is about losing self. Pure and simple, when we go about diligently honoring our neighbor or our spouse or our loved ones, we're going to see how hard that is to do well. You remember the movie Fireproof where they had the love dare book? They don't call it a dare for nothing. This is hard work, but it's in that hard work that we're going to see how much we actually need God as our Savior. And it's there that we'll be fully aware of the sins that we 
have been forgiven. We're not going to take Jesus' blood for granted then. But we'll have rest, we'll have joy in knowing that we have been safety netted from all of our shortcomings. You will learn to love that safety net when you're in the midst of that dare for your shortcomings will be present and you will fall daily into the hands of your sin-forgiving Savior. So Paul continues in that passage to list some of the sins of the flesh, and they're all about the self. But then he goes on to list all of the fruits of the Spirit, all the characteristics that come when we allow the Spirit to take over. And they're beautiful, selfless descriptions, kindness, gentleness, peace, goodness, patience, joy, love, all the things that you want, all the things that you want to be known for and known by. And Peter himself, writing in 2 Peter, he's got his own list. Kindness, goodness, self-control, brotherly kindness, love. And then he says this, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something else that I know that we all want. Then he says this. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind. And he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So there you go. There's our litmus test. Kindness, goodness, self-control, brotherly kindness, peace, joy. All of those things are indicators of how well we are remembering the fact that we've been forgiven of our sins. So the bottom line then becomes this. Loving your neighbor, your spouse, your loved ones, as you'd want them to love you, will torment and destroy your fleshly nature. And that's what we want. It's not going to go quietly. And you'll be in the turmoil of breaking your addiction to yourself. Try that one. And as you overlook the faults of others that you are unconditionally loving, you will then be aware of how great it is and how great God is to have forgiven you at all. Then you'll like yourself better. You cannot fully rest and have peace without fully knowing the experience of having God forgive your sins. That's the end of point one. I'll let you ponder it for a second. Gift number two, eternal life. A crowd full of people There's always a bunch that don't realize that eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts right now. We are in it right now. Biblically, eternal life is given when you and I give ourselves to Christ as his servant, are baptized into him, and as the Bible says, we pass from death to life. Romans 6, Paul says that in baptism we die in Christ, we die to Christ, We're also raised to a new life. In the same way, he says, count yourself dead to sin, but alive with Christ. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Eternal life starts 
now. It's one of the gifts of salvation. And the Apostle John says it specifically, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's John 17, 3. That one describes you. You know him. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, who he has, he who has the Son has life, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's 1 John 5.11. He has made us eternally alive right now to stay eternally alive with him forever. Ponder that one. As you thought about the seemingly indescribable gift of eternal life that's been given to you there, perhaps maybe you got to this idea, gift number three. You are a new person. You are a new person. It is so hard for you and I to get outside of ourselves to see ourselves sometimes. Our thinking gets in ruts, and this idea of being a new person can really help us if we can see it as truth and lose the blindness to ourself. This happened to me the other day. All four of the kids were at the house, at the school, and uh, I was wanting, we hadn't given them our Florida souvenirs yet. And so I was looking for the bag with the souvenirs in it, couldn't find it, so I called up my wonderful wife who knows where everything's at. And I said, hey, sweetie, all four of the kids are here. I'd like to give them the souvenirs, but I can't find the bag. She said, it's right there by the entryway when you come in the door. Are you sure? Yeah, it's right there by the entryway when you come in the door. I said, well, I'm standing right here, and I can't see it. Well, that's because you're a boy, and you can't see stuff right in front of your face sometimes. (laughs) So she, it's, it's true. So she said, I'm on my way home. I'll be there in a minute. I'll find it when I get it. Well, you know what I found before she even got there, right? It was just right there. And I thought about this for a little bit. This happens to me sometimes. And I think it's because when I am looking for something, I'm looking for the picture in my mind of where I saw it last. And I'm not seeing that picture, and so I don't see what's right in front of me. I'm not looking at what is right in front of me. I'm looking to try to find what's in my mind. And so I miss it when it's sitting right in front of me. I know, a little bit of psychobabble. But the same is also true about my ability to look at myself correctly. I'm a new person. I need to take those truths and that gift and I need to apply it to the way I look at myself. Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. So Paul's explaining that newness. When we accept Christ or baptize into his crucifixion, we die in Christ through the Holy Spirit comes 
And he lives inside of us. So that's why we read Acts 2.38. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now I have the power to change. I can see now because the truth of these things, the truth of this gift, allows the scales to fall from my eyes. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It just now remains for me to live like that. So here's what's happened. You and I are participating in the divine nature. We've got a little God in us now. And that's different than before. Can you imagine that? God living inside of us. Here's 2 Peter again. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. And it's that knowledge, it's the new insight of being a new person that changes us if we live in accord with it. So that through them, that's God's divine power, we may participate in the divine nature and then we can escape the corruption of this dying world. Here's Philippians. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. It's not only you, but God's working on your side to help make us a new person. A little bit of God in us is changing us and recreating us, recreating our wills as we do our best to follow him and his leading and to live by those truths. You are a new person. You have been made new. And God continues to renew you each day as you walk in faith with him. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Gift number four. Gift number four. We belong to Jesus and to each other. Here's Ephesians 1.22. God's placed all things under Jesus' feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Ephesians 2. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens. You're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Romans 12. Just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same functions. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. God's purpose for our lives is to belong to him completely. And under and in his control, we are to belong to each other more than we ever thought so before. We're not to live for ourselves, but for him. And for him, that means we live for others. That's exactly what Jesus told Peter. Feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Three times he asked him. Feed my lambs. Reason for a second with me. This thought. Okay, yeah, I got it. I got to serve my brothers and my sisters I understand. But think, this also means that you have brothers and sisters, plural, that are supposed to be serving you. This is great, isn't it? 
We had family work day yesterday on our house. Mom, dad, two brothers, all of us working together. That's what it's all about. We accomplished way more than the sum of our parts and had bonding time through the whole day. We're a little tired, but it just feels good. Our spirits are refreshed. Christina and I are completely encouraged because we got so much stuff done that would have taken us forever. That's our family. What about this family? It's the same thing. We belong to God now. We also belong to everyone else. How's that a gift, Ben? You've got brothers and sisters that you belong to now and that are going to serve you. Go and do likewise. That's what being part of the family of God is. We are members of his household, a great family. So you see, these are the four gifts of salvation that God wants to do for us and in us. It requires your willingness to let him give us this life, which is like his and beyond our hopes and dreams. So, having been gifted with all of these things in our salvation, I see it that there's just three things that remain. And I'll close with this. So that we don't take the gifts for granted, which all four of these we have for sure. So that we don't, let's do these three things. Let's first of all worship. Let's appreciate our loving God. Secondly, service. All kinds of help to others, which in fact serves him. He just wants his family to get along, love and help each other. And number three, let's separate ourselves from sin once and for all. Can we? Let's worship, let's serve, and let's put some distance from our sin and break those chains. And let's just go right now to God and let's ask him to help us do that. Dear God, uh, in our selfishness, we always take things given to us for granted. We are so grateful of people who have given just to give to us. God, I pray that we could take a moment right now and consider ourselves how we could be one of those givers, to be more like you in that way. Unconditionally so. Lord, It is through your gifts to us and it is through our example to others that we are able to break, to, to end the blindness of people. Lord, it's your gifts to us that ended our blindness. Now we see. Lord, I pray that we can have even more clearer vision to remove the blindness of those that maybe we work with, family members that we've prayed for for a long time. Lord, just let us reconsider how we can construct our life to live in accord with these four gifts that you've so generously given. Lord, we know that it costs much to give to us. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness and taking them for granted. And now, Lord, let us move from a people of good intentions 
to people who fully live out our faith, guided by you and your spirit of giving. In your name we pray, amen.